Sometimes paths cross for just an instant, but that instant can make all the difference. Sometimes it's the difference between life and death, or the difference between getting away with murder and swinging from the hangman's noose. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Old timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are here this week again. And you love us and we love you. And we're going to do Rays of Light real quick. Um, I'll just go ahead and get mine out of the way at the top of the hour. My ray of light is our listeners because we, our numbers have been really great this past week. And I think that's, I think that's, uh, we can owe a debt to uh, the Poisoner's Cabinet. We did a little promo swap with them. And uh, so that's been really nice. And I uh, woke up the other day to an email that uh, we were uh, number three on the charts in Romania. <laughs> so uh, to our Romanian listeners, here, here. I, I would <laughs> like to say, Bună ziua, si va mulțumesc, cea ati ascolcat, cuvintele noastră mordare. And I'm sure I pronounced all parts of that wrong, but um, should I translate it or should I just... Uh, please. No, please. Okay, it's hello and thank you for listening to our filthy words. I'm going to get all the hot vampire chicks. We're number three in Romania. <laughs> I, just, I just so much love thank you for listening to our filthy words. Like, that is my favorite. <laughs> God damn it. I've been doing this for a year. Where's my Tesla and my infinite supply of pussy? I was promised <laughs> this. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's mine. Uh, our listeners are great. And... Uh, one thing that they also gave me some joy was uh, speaking of, uh, I went and reviewed a whole bunch of podcasts that I listened to that have been getting me through. And so I just like to say to our listeners, you can do that too. And just take five minutes, go review us, go review other podcasts, support creators, you know, like in this time it's, it's, it can be a little rough. And so it, it's really a, a nice boost to get that review and that rating. And so, yeah, um, go, go rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And, and not just us, but others too. So that's my ray of light. So I'm going to spin the wheel, click, 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 click. And it's landing on Amber. What's your ray of light? I, I really don't have one. So I, I keep doing really like funny mistakes, but bad mistakes. So like today I was talking to somebody I work with on a phone and uh, I heard somebody behind him that I thought I knew. And I was like, whose big mouth is that? And he's like the customers and you're on speakerphone. So like, I think it's funny, but it's really bad. And I, I kind of wanted to die inside, but I was laughing too hard at myself. So, <laughs> so I guess my ray of light is the ability to laugh at myself for doing stupid things all the time. <laughs> there we go. We all need to, we all need to be able to do that. So Scott, what is your ray of light? Uh, hold on. Let me, uh, let me hold my ray of light up to the microphone here. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> this is my ray of light I love this God bless America Welcome to Altair 4 gentlemen They are selling Robbie the Robots at Walmart I've wanted a Robbie the Robot toy Since I was four fucking years old And now I have one And he's glorious and wonderful And he's sexy And I want to kiss him But I don't want to get electrocuted <laughs> So 
gonna pass. Check that off your bucket bucket list. Well, I can't figure out where his lips are. No. <laughs> like, where do I kiss him? I don't want to kiss him on the glass dome because I don't want to leave smudges. I'm just hoping that eventually that they do make a robot B9 from Lost in Space. And then I'll, I can die a happy man if I have those two. You can just make your own. I do it. could, but I really just want to spend money. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who had uh, some money he was giving out to other people but didn't want to be is one Alfred Rouse. How was that, guys? I mean, I was I was I had my opening at the the beautiful and sexy and want to kiss thing there, but uh, uh, then I missed it. So weird, Al Rouse. Um, damn it! <laughs> I love it. Damn yeah. it! This is this is a guy who who really had everything and just fucked it all up. Oh, oh he's. Something. He's <laughs> something. I feel like he spent his life digging his own grave, like just deeper and deeper and deeper. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. get that. Yeah. Because yeah. I wish I would have had, I wish I would have had like the benefits and the adventures this guy had. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. He definitely he had adventures and he had benefits. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, he did. So, you squirrely <laughs> dog, enjoy the syphilis. Actually, what I'd like to do is uh, start on uh, start with uh, a guy in a pub uh, in uh, in England in 1930 to to set the scene. Um, and uh, this guy, he's he's in a pub. His life's kind of on the skids. He's not. He's, he's definitely not living it up. Uh, uh, Weird Al Rouse style. Weird Al's gonna sue us. Um, <laughs> no, Weird Al wouldn't sue us. He's like, no, he's pretty cool. I bet he wouldn't. <laughs> he's absolutely, and he's 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 a good looking man, if I may say so, in the most heterosexual way possible. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like- that's not that's not brown nosy at all. Well, no, um, so I'm, I'm sorry, the dude looks good for his age. He's like, he's like in his sixties, I think. I agree. I would not pin him at sixties, but okay. So, the other guy that we're talking about, um, the 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 guy in the pub with the life kind on the skits, he starts chatting with the gentleman. Um, this guy's pretty well dressed. He looks. He's got like you know briefcase. He looks all businessy. Seems really respectable. Although uh, that mustache is not going to age well. No. <laughs> no. What is known as the toothbrush mustache. Uh, Hitler didn't start out with that mustache. He actually trimmed it back so he could fit into the gas masks. <laughs> I had no idea. That's yep. fascinating. So this 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 poor guy whose life is is a train wreck. He, he you know this other guy, this nice business guy, buys him a couple of drinks, and he thinks, oh, this this guy's nice. But unbeknownst to him, this respectable sort of Hitler mustachey wearing guy, he has a plan. And he looks at this guy and he thinks, you are just somebody who nobody would miss. Same night. <laughs> Hardingstone, Northamptonshire. Sorry, Brits. I, I can't help it. I can't not do it. Like, <laughs> Northamptonshire. Northamptonshire. My God, uh, what are you only- doing out there in the rain? You're up to your louvers and bloody muck. Get in here, you silly cunt. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. No, this is a really small town. There were only about 900 residents at this point, and it's about an hour and a half northwest of London. Of course, that's in current speeds. And back then they were going like 25 miles an hour. So 
take like 80 miles an hour and then do you you do math i'm not gonna but you can if you want it's your choice um by the way i'd like to I'm, i'm sorry i have to say this i found out today that the first speeding ticket in the world was given in 1896 in the kent really yes the kent countryside uh the 1896 motor carriage was recorded at going four times past the speed limit as it whizzed around the Kent countryside at a brisk eight miles an hour. The speed limit was two. It was pulled (laughs) over by a policeman on a bicycle. (laughs) Like, I feel like my kid's power wheels goes faster than that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this town, Hardingstone, is so small that even today on on Wikipedia, uh, they under facilities they list among other things, of course, the village's two pubs. <laughs> of course, <laughs> here it comes, and the well, names of those. Have... Oh, you don't? Oh, I don't, no, I don't have a lot. I was going to say I don't have a whole list this oh. time, but uh, the the names are the Crown and the Sun. So not anything great, but. Sorry, the Crown and the Sun. I mean, I'm sure you are fine establishments. Uh, in Northampton, we have this might be my favorite yet, the Optimist. Ooh, they need. To I make, like it. They need to make two, so there could be one called the Optimist Prime. <laughs> and then, well, and then another one called the Pessimist. And but uh, yeah, so yay. <laughs> so uh, and. Just a little quick history that was interesting to me. Um, in 1675, they had the Great Fire of Northampton. There were 850 buildings. 700 were obliterated in six hours. Fuck. Uh, killed a, yeah, I know, right? Killed 11 people. And uh, this, okay, this, I was debating whether or not to bring this up, but Hardingstone itself, not Northampton, but Hardingstone, this little village, has one of three remaining Eleanor crosses out of the 12 that were built. And I didn't know what these were, so I had to look that up. Rabbit holes upon rabbit holes. Uh, King Edward I built these at the nightly resting places for the body of Eleanor of Castile, his wife, as they t- took her from where she had died to London. And they're, they're not just crosses like you think. There's, these are big, tall monuments, like a, almost like a church spire, and then they have statues on them and stuff. And it just really, something about that just almost broke my heart. That like he loved her so much that he was like everywhere where she stops and sleeps along her way to her final resting place. I want that to be like memorialized. Wow. Oh, that's love. You know, that's something. I don't know. (laughs) That's so return. Oh, my God. That's that's the kind of love that I hope that I have, you know, because. Right. Yeah. And geez, man. Wow. Imagine loving somebody so much that you put up a tombstone just everywhere they were. Wow. Like, if Marcus dies, I'm just throwing a party. Like, uh, (laughs) no, but like, like Irish wake style. Okay. All right. All right. My family. And we'll tell all the horrible, embarrassing stories that Marcus has because we know there's a ton. Oh, yeah. You're just trying to find an excuse to get drunk, Amber. I know. (laughs) So... Um, on the wee hours of November 6th, coming back to Hardingstone, uh, Alfred Brown and William Bailey, they're actually cousins, they're returning. If November 6th should, uh, like wee hours, I'm talking in the morning, early morning, 
this, November 6th should ring a bell if you are familiar with much British history because the day before is Guy Fawkes Day and they have Watch big... the language. <laughs> <laughs> Guy Freaks Day. There we go. That's better. <laughs> um, and they have big bonfires all over the place and it's it's, it's quite the, the celebration one thing that interested me was i saw in another town that's pretty much known for its they call it bonfire night that's known for its bonfire night is they also in addition to having big bonfires they will burn crosses and i know it's not the same thing in england as it is in the united states so it really it, it still disturbed me for a minute i was like whoa what are these people doing <laughs> what well no. it's it's like the word spastic like the word spastic in America doesn't mean anything horrible. It's it's not out of the way to say, you know, that guy's acting like a spaz. In fact, honestly, it's kind of cute anymore. The word spastic in England, that's worse than saying some calling somebody a motherfucker. It's it's, no ru- it's right up there with the N-word. Because no. wow. it, it makes fun. It makes fun of somebody who has a condition called spastic paralysis. Huh. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there was a bit of a uh, there was a bit of a uh, kerfuffle, if I may use that word. Uh, is that a bad you word? That, uh, someplace, I'm sure it is. Uh, <laughs> there was a bit of a kerfuffle a few years ago whenever Hasbro uh, put out a Transformer named Spastic. And everybody in America went, uh-huh. oh, cool name. And everybody in England went, what the fuck? Because <laughs> imagine if Hasbro put out a Transformer whose name was the N-word. That's exactly what happened. I see. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting how things are different from place to place and continue to be. Um, so these two guys, it's Guy Freaks Night. They're coming <laughs> home from a dance. And they see a guy. He's pretty nicely dressed, but he's not wearing a hat. And he's climbing out of a hedge. And this guy rushes past them. He's carrying a briefcase. And they're just on a little lane. Like, it's not, you know, this isn't big city London during the day. This is a little lane at night in the dark. And he, the man says, looks like someone's had a bonfire down there. So they go down the lane. And sure enough, they see a fire. It is, in fact, not a bonfire. It's a car fire. It's a Morris Minor going up in flames. Amber, did you have any PTSD during the research for this episode from when Marcus's car went up in flames? No, but that was hilarious. It was hilarious. It made the news. <laughs> it did. It was like, local man escapes fiery vehicle. And he's like, I opened the door and stepped out. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, this car is a Morris Minor, which I had never heard of. But when I looked it up, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I recognize that car. And even the Wikipedia article for Morris Minor says that it, quote, typifies Englishness. And I was like, yes, that is a very British car. Like that is the British old timey car. So very British. It comes with a tea maker. <laughs> so it comes, it comes with royalty. See now I'm just picturing like little teacups on the dashboard, like bouncing around like the Hawaiian girl. The the alarm is set constantly. There's no way to change it. The alarm sets at four o'clock. At four o'clock, the engine automatically shuts itself off, and you are forced to have tea wherever you may be. <laughs> I kind of actually want that feature. Um, <laughs> so these two cousins, they grab some constables who uh, who they the constables battle the blaze, and after that, they see the car is not empty. 
there is, in fact, a body in the car. Something now, smells even- good. <laughs> do, I, do I smell pork? Mm. Roasted pork? <laughs> Reminds me of Long Pig. Mm. So they don't get any, like, daylight comes and they don't get any photographs of the corpse, which is upsetting because, like, not that I want to see them, but that could be useful because they were doing crime scene photography, like, well, like, in the late 1800s, crime scene photography was a thing in some countries. So, uh, actually, Scott, your guy Bertillon from our old Tiny this week was one of the uh, first, like, he was one of the innovators in crime scene photography and has some crime scene photographs uh, that are quite artistic looking, actually. Ooh, are like, they, like, artistic like Robert Maplethorpe artistic or are they artistic like Polish movie poster artistic? I don't know who Robert Maplethorpe is. So I'm going to go with Polish movie poster. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm hoping I said that right. Maplethorpe. He was the photographer. I don't know who he is though. I, I'm allowed to not know who some photographers are, right? Mape, Maplethorpe <laughs> did some awesome stuff. Uh, a lot of it involving things and men's asses. Oh, wow. I probably shouldn't have done uh, uh, the Google image search on that then. Yeah, <laughs> no. you no, probably I, don't I was literally to. just about to do that. So thank you for saying that before I could finish typing. Yeah, you're <laughs> going to be fucking traumatized if you if you do that. But other people are going to go, hey, that's art. I'm no, still just, doing it. <laughs> they're very artistic. Like, um, they, they look more like a scene from a movie. Um, and they're very detailed and like wide angle and everything. So, so no photographs. Uh, we do get a description of the, of the corpse. Uh, it was face down with the head in the driver's seat. The torso was in the passenger seat. The right arm was stretched as if it was behind the passenger seat, but you couldn't tell if it was because it's actually burned to the elbow. Face uh, so down, like- ass up. That's the way. Okay, never mind. <laughs> No, not this guy. Uh, So the left arm wasn't really seen. The left leg was doubled up underneath the torso, and the right one was burned either at the knee or at the ankle or somewhere in between because we have three different descriptions from three different constables, all of whom at this point weren't really ascribing as much importance to what they were seeing yet because they thought it was an accident. You know, just a, a, I guess I'm assuming cars probably caught on fire a lot more back then than they do today. And they still do sometimes today. Like I had one catch a truck catch on fire directly outside my front door. outside my house. I, I actually knew that person, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. Wait, my car caught on fire at Amber's place once. <laughs> cars catching on fire all over the place. So. I think I think your dad actually walked in and went, Scott, your car is on fire. Just like the calmest, the calmest ever. That that sounds like my dad. Yeah. (laughs) We once arrived to my grandmother's house uh, as a family, and my sister's car, as we pulled up, was uh, on fire. It was like, well, this is how we make arrivals in this family. This is how we make an entrance (laughs) (laughs) on fire. So, (laughs) other evidence at the scene there's an empty, I'm going to go ahead and go with the British version, empty petrol can. Ooh, fancy and schmancy. It's fancy gas. Uh, The top of the carburetor is missing. Uh, The gas cap on the car is on the car, but it's kind of loose. And also part of the petrol line is kind of loose right where it could basically like it would it was prime position for it to leak into the footwell of the car. And they found a mallet 14 or 15 feet away from the car. Uh, And I have a quote here. Dirt dried upon it, in which dirt a few hairs were embedded. We're going to see more of that mallet. 
dirt, brown, dried, crusty, iron-smelling dirt, I bet. <laughs> so, now, the guy with the briefcase, the guy who pointed out the bonfire who has no hat. Uh, I'm not going to name him just yet. We've already named him, but I'm going to keep him anonymous so you don't know who he is. Uh, he has actually gone home to London. He said, came in, his wife is kind of sleeping. He was like, eh, don't worry about me, everything's fine. And then he just left again. Um, it was like 6.20 a.m., and then he heads off to see his pregnant girlfriend, whose name is Ivy Jenkins. And yes, I just said wife and pregnant girlfriend and basically the same, you know, like paragraph. Um, just wait. There's more. Um, all the way in. And I looked at the pronunciation of this, so I'm going to try it. No, dirk shit. Uh, dirk shit. Private eye. Geskigaya. <laughs> Geskigaya. Uh, it's Welsh. It's Welsh, so it's pronounced differently than you would expect. Uh, the uh, license plate on the car is unburnt and illegible, so that does lead them to the home of one A.A. Rouse, uh, whose wife comes and she they're, they're like, all right, we need you to check out the remains, but we don't actually want to see the remains, or we don't want you to see the remains. So here, look at these pieces of little pieces of clothing, all that's remaining, and is oh, those your husband's? She's like, how the fuck am i supposed to know it's like a scrap and a buckle <laughs> yes i guess fine whatever maybe i don't exactly. know she's yeah. like well, that's his car i don't know like <laughs> yeah and she she does say she's like well they might be his but that's basically what anybody's gonna say like when you see presented with that little evidence you're gonna be like i don't know maybe sure so, why not i don't like him give me the license for his money <laughs> He was an ass anyhow. So uh, the description of all this is sent around to the press and they even get a drawing of the hatless man. There's a picture of the car in the paper and they mention his wife. So we have a guy who has a wife and a pregnant girlfriend. He goes to his pregnant girlfriend's house. He's at that pregnant girlfriend's house and a newspaper about a car that is his arrives at the house and in that newspaper article is mention of his wife. So somebody's in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get uh, for sticking your dick in other things. Exactly. Well, he had Repeatedly. a tendency of it. Many oh. other things. Mm -hmm. Yes. The blender. Fucking. <laughs> you don't even so want to know guy. how you don't even want to know I, how he started the car fire. I think he, I think the blender would have been um, a gift to womankind. <laughs> yeah, right. So would use of birth control. <laughs> so uh, he actually is is at this house, and, and I'm sure you figured out we're getting there anyhow. But it's Rouse. It's definitely Rouse. He I tails it out of there on the bus. It said motor coach, so I'm assuming that's a bus and not a. If you look up motor coach, you just get motor homes nowadays. I don't know what 1930s Google would give you, but nowadays in 2020, it gives you. Uh, Motorhomes. Well, um, I, I actually, I had another article that were that said by bus. So, motor coach and bus are the same thing for that time. Okay, perfect. All right. Uh, so, but he's uh, he's running too late and probably to the wrong damn place. Uh, he is met at the station in London by Detective Sergeant Skelly. And when he's arrested, he says, quote, very well, I am glad it is all over. I was going to Scotland Yard about it. I am responsible. I am very glad it is over. I have had no sleep. 
It sounds like something Trump would say. I'm very glad it's over. It's all over. Scarlet Yard's good. They did a good job. <laughs> it is. It's very like monotone, like short sentences. It's very, that's, I mean, I guess if you're going on no sleep, like the, the kind of activity he'd been doing for the past 24 to 36 hours and the kind of like lives he was juggling, you will be too tired to form a coherent sentence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah, this all happened early morning. Um, the, the whole fire happened, as I said, early morning, November 6th. He was busted by 9.20 p.m. on November 7th. That didn't take long. So, yeah. He's a bad criminal. He is a bad criminal. So uh, does anybody want to give us a little uh, background on, on Rouse, or should I do it? Alfred Rouse is an asshole, but at least he's a military asshole. <laughs> there you go. He was he was born in on Milkwood Road, Hern Hill in London on April 6, 1894. One of three children is uh he has an English father and an Irish mother, which in my like my understanding English to Irish, that's like saying my dad was American, my mom was Hawaiian. It's kind of the same thing. Um his father was a hosier, meaning that he sold stockings and legwear. Um, and his mother was an actress and we're going to say actress is like, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> she's an actress in the same way as that. I am a famous voiceover artist, which is, I would like to be, and I'm trying, but it's not happening yet. Um, she deserted her husband and children in 1900. Rouse's father didn't have a lot of time for his kids uh, and Rouse and his uh, siblings were raised by an aunt on their father's side. He was a well-behaved child. Um, he was regarded as bright, and, and he left school at the age of 14, worked briefly as an office boy for an estate agency. Uh, he uh, became acquainted with a young clerk named Lily Mae Watkins and began a relationship with her. He did some wartime service, too. Um, uh, Rouse enlisted in the British Army about four days after the outbreak of uh, World War I. He was assigned to the 24th Queen's, uh, Queen's Regiment as a private. And uh, this is about the time that Rouse uh, married Lily Mae Watkins. Uh, he goes to France on March 15, 1915. His unit was sent into battle. He served with distinction. But once again, it's, that, it's the wiener. The wiener gets you in trouble every time he fathers an illegitimate child. Uh, Rouse's unit, not Rouse's battalion, not his, not his dick. <laughs> Rouse's <laughs> penis went on to win many awards. <laughs> Just look at it. A small religion uh, was built up around Rouse's penis. Uh, the, phrase, <laughs> the phrase, lo, he has risen, uh, meant something completely different. Uh, <laughs> instituted a national holiday for Rouse's penis. Exactly. He almost uh, he almost lost uh, said penis in a bayonet attack. Uh, this was uh, he came face to face with a German soldier and lunged at him, but missed. Uh, and the memory of him just waiting for an instant would remain with him for the rest of his life. He would be plagued by nightmares. Uh, Rouse did sustain wounds during the war. Uh, wounds to his head, knee, and thigh from a high explosive shell. There's that fucking head injury again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We see it so much with murderers and serial killers. There's that fucking head injury. Uh, there were numerous fragments of shrapnel in his head. 
Uh, it, it was strong enough to render him unconscious. I want you to keep in mind, being knocked out cold, if you're knocked out cold for more than, more than 30 seconds, any time that you lose consciousness due to a knock to the head, you need to be careful. If you lose consciousness for more than 30 seconds, that's called a brain injury. Rouse did not regain consciousness until his hospital train passed through the town of Bedford. And he was hospitalized for close to a year. People bitching well, about being in quarantine for a couple of weeks. This went on for a year. Well, and he actually had an operation to remove some of that shrapnel. It was in his left temporal region. So I went ahead and looked up um, what damage to that region can do. Ooh, um, thinking. So there are eight principal symptoms that happen. Um, there's disturbance of auditory sensation and perception. Um, so there's a lot of like, most of these were actually like visual and audio changes to perspective, um, disorders of those things. But then, um, then we get into impaired long-term memory because he kept forgetting he was married. Um, uh, <laughs> Seems to have happened before. Retroactive brain injury. But the last three were very interesting because they fit Ross perfectly. So the impaired long-term memory altered personality and affective behavior and altered sexual behavior. I, I was in a relationship with a woman who had a left temporal lobe brain injury. And I can tell you, yes, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hear this and tell, but I am going to tell you, Yes. <laughs> Please continue. The, no, that was all I wanted to add to it was the temporal lobe. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> just, just an example. Whenever you say about like short-term memory, uh, and hey, I do live in a large house. I live in a 19-room home. Whenever, uh, whenever we moved in together, we had to keep post-it notes on the doors so she would know which room was what for a long time. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was kind of an intense uh intense situation at times. But we did we were able to manage it fairly well. Uh there was a lot of self abuse. There was a lot of uh there was a lot of cutting, unfortunately. Uh I would I would catch her cutting. Uh cutting herself with razor blades and what have you. It was it was a strong situation. I don't I probably would not do it again. I wouldn't go in. Let me. Okay. That's going to sound cold. I would not go into a relationship with another person who had a frontal lobe brain injury again. But if I was in a relationship with someone and they developed one, then I would stay with them. No two ways about okay. it. That's certainly fair. Yeah. So he did. Yeah. This brain injury did leave him with some issues. Uh, he did complain of having a bad memory. Uh, like we said, we, he had the nightmares, although whether that's, you know, from the injury or his experiences or both, honestly, it could be a combination of both some dizziness, headaches, uh, but he could still talk and write just fine. And so basically like he was on a pension when he came home for a little while and they basically, after eventually they looked at him and they said, you keep on saying that you're having trouble bending your knee and you have all these, you know, like cognitive issues, but we're just going to say it's neurosis and they discontinued his pension. 
then he did uh, a lot of jobs, uh, just kind of like it seemed like he did some odd jobs for a while and, and kind of bumped along and then uh, did uh, learn through these jobs. He would learn a lot about cars. He was big into the vehicle. I say that like it's a dirty thing. <laughs> I know. I was confused. <laughs> I don't know why. And I don't know why I do the things I do sometimes. I just do. I love my car a little bit too much, and I still smell like gasoline down there. I do love my car a little bit too much, but not like not like that. That's gross. Name oh. your car Tiggy. I did. Short for Tiguan, because that's what she is. Jackson named his car, too. I've named almost all of my cars, so... I, I usually I usually name my car. God damn it! Why aren't you working? <laughs> so, uh, he starts having basically affairs, and when I say affairs, you might think one or two. Uh, possibly in the, the time between 1920 and the car fire in 1930, he may have had as many as 80. Uh, Christy Amber. Yes. Yes. I'm just going to say yes. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> nice. Yes. I have a quote here from the introduction to the transcript of his trial, and this is fun. Um, tobacconist assistants, shop girls, probationer nurses, is, damn it, probationer nurses in their recreation walks, chambermaids, and so on, readily fell victim to his plausible tongue, ingratiating manners, handsome appearance, and fantastic lies. Hey baby, why don't you come on over here? I'll put on some soft music and you can put that finger in my uh, my head wound. <laughs> oh yeah. The uh, the author of this this transcription of the trial couldn't really stop from uh, inserting her own opinion. Uh, <laughs> 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 No, really. She said, she said, quote, there seems to be one and only one country in Europe where women still guard their chastity as a jewel. And that country is certainly not post-war England. <laughs> to which I say, bitch. <laughs> so somebody needed fucked. Does anybody uh, want to raise their hand for the, uh, the, the first knock up here? The first. Uh, I go ahead. Well, is the first the 15-year-old? That it is. Go on up, Amber. Uh, I only have that she was a 15-year-old girl tossed aside after falling pregnant. Um, you so don't she ended fall up pregnant. Giving... <laughs> she, <laughs> fell, she fell, she fell uh, pregnant upon my sturdy member. Um, right. So she ended up giving birth in a home for unwed mothers. That's a, yes, that's a weird not... thing that we do. The home for un Foster's home for unwed mothers. Cast them away. We did. We don't do it anymore. <laughs> no, it's still kind of like that, though. As a teenage mother, um, it was still very much like that, except I didn't have a home to go to. Thank God for my parents. <laughs> like, true. So, um, yeah, the baby was born in 1921. Um, and it did die at five weeks old. So she, this is Helen Campbell. She goes back to work. And I have actually that they, they started back up again. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, right. Christ. And she got pregnant again. Jesus. So he says, let's get married. 
But once again, he forgot that he was married. Is that damn short-term, long-term memory? Jesus Christ! <laughs> it so fucking hell. Now I now I really God. understand the term long-suffering wife. Oh my God! This woman was long-suffering. Jesus. So yeah, November 1924, which uh, I don't know if we mentioned, but he married his first and still current wife on 19 in or not 19 in November. So he really is a big fan of November for weddings. He's forget your June wedding. He's a November wedding kind of guy, and he will marry anyone. I forgot. (laughs) They have a little boy that's born the following July, and they did even live together for a little while, but then she got a job in a restaurant. He didn't really like that. So they broke up and for uh and she kept the baby. Um and for a while, I think. And so then um, along the timeline, he meets Nellie Tucker. Nellie Tucker is she is practically a senior citizen compared to Helen Campbell. She is 17. Oh, my God. <laughs> 17 years old. You, you, uh, you pervert. How dare yeah. you? And uh, she's a domestic servant. They start up in 1925. He even has the cliche fake flat, you know, the, or, you know, he has a flat that's his, like his, this is my bachelor pad. This is where I live. And really it's just, you know, where he goes to bang underage girls. Uh, so Nellie has a little girl in 1928 and she hops right to, to get child support before the year is even out. She's like, Oh, you're going to be giving me some money for this baby. Um, and she does get, uh, a ruling for child support in her favor, but he is bad at making payments and the baby is eventually sent off to foster care. They just can't keep it together, can they? No, no, these, these poor single teenage mothers really can't keep it together. So well, I'm she was a teenager at the time at 1928, but still very young. And that's, that's, that's ridiculous. It, I'm, I'm talking about human beings. I wasn't just talking about teenage mothers. It's just humans do not, they're not able to keep it together. God, I just, no, you're right about that. I despise all you walking monkeys. <laughs> so, in uh, 1929, Rouse gets a job as a traveling salesman, and he's actually making 500 pounds a year. Do you guys want to guess how much that is in today's dollars? 500? I am stealing this from my favorite murder, and I don't care because I actually like always do the research on, on the money because I'm curious. 500 pounds. I am going to say 500 pounds. I'm going to say that is the equivalent of $45,000 today. Okay, Amber? I'm going to go with $38,000. Oh, my God. You're right on target. Jesus. Jeez. Oh, seriously? That's ah. creepy. Jesus. <laughs> wow. I'm a good guesser. This is how I do really well in trivia. <laughs> <laughs> you do do really well in trivia. You guys won last weekend. We did. Woohoo! You didn't give us a pantsless dance, though, so I'm disappointed in you. The, the kids were outside with us. They would have judged. That's no excuse. <laughs> So he is making, like, it's okay money. It's the Depression, or about to be. So, you know, everything's going to be real cheap, probably. There's that, at least. And he does, like, pretty well at his job. But Helen files for child support in 1929, and she gets 10 shillings a week. Now, I did the math on this, and there's 20 shillings in a pound. So that works out to be, uh, for the year, $1,976 in today's money. Wow. I'm pretty sure. If I did the math right, 
Yes, that is a very small amount. That is less than two thousand a year for the maintenance of a child. There, uh, Amber, are are children cheap? Would you say? Fuck no. There you go. See, yeah, that God doesn't seem I, really right. Anytime I want to make soup to buy a child, it's like six or seven thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Now, because so, I ate that bat soup, now you people aren't too worried about the bat soup that I had a couple of a couple of months ago. Now, are you? <laughs> <laughs> a little less, a little less worried. Uh, so, Rouse actually at the hearing he does admit paternity. He says, "Yep, that's my kid, and I love children." But uh, again, he did a sucky job at keeping up with the payments. So, actually, Mrs. Rouse and uh, Helen get together. And they decide that uh, Mrs. Rouse would raise the baby in their household. And Helen could still see him and everything. And actually, like, uh, Alfred Rouse would take the baby back and forth sometimes to see Helen and such. But, but yeah, that was the decision made, which is really, what, holy shit. What do you guys think of that? The little meeting of the minds they had. That is Yeah. A... Yeah, I wouldn't have done that. Um... They wanted to be sister wives, though. God, that must have been some sort of magical wiener he had. Yeah, no, it, it must have been because honestly, I can't imagine any of this being acceptable. Like, <laughs> I guess the Hitler the... mustache really carried some weight back then. Apparently, because he and Nellie got back together and she had another girl to him on October 29th, 1930. What a magical wiener. Did he have, like, a horse cock? He had to have a horse cock. That's the only way that this makes sense. Even a horse cock doesn't do it, because at that point, wouldn't you just sleep with the horse? <laughs> well, Mr. Hands. Jesus. Didn't end well. Christ. So he goes to the hospital to visit uh, Nellie on November 5th, but he seems kind of impatient and clock watching. He's, he's like, eh, I gotta go. I gotta do some things. And what he's got to do is he's got to go and visit his other pregnant teenage girlfriend, Ivy Jenkins. That's right. You forgot about Ivy because we've been through like seven of these girls so far and it's ridiculous. Jesus. If you asked Ivy or any of her family, she would say that they were married. Sure you are, honey. Sure no, but he did bigamously marry several of these women. So he was mm -hmm. married to like three or four women. And supposedly. This whole front, like he would visit with her family and say he was her husband. And he told them all this whole story about like he bought this beautiful house for 1,250 pounds in Kingston. That's $98,000 in today's money. And uh, he was like, they were actually planning to move there November 6th. And her sister Phyllis was going to come and live with them for three months. So he is just lying his lying liar ass off everywhere he goes. Fuck. This guy, guys. This, this is why men get a bad rap, is guys like this. Really? This, this is why I get really happy when there's female killers. Wait, I, I need an explanation. Can you explain yourself, Amber? Like, I the entire time, I'm like, can you imagine if if Alfred Rouse ran into a woman like Queenie? Oh, okay. All right. I see. I see. I see. She would stab shit. his ass with a fork at the very least. Like, <laughs> he needed to run into a real woman with a backbone to kick his ass. Yeah, absolutely. He really did. And it didn't... Uh, some of these... At least they were... <sighs> I have admiration for the women who were, you know, 
like, screw this. I'm going for child support. Even though eventually they would screw him again. It's ridiculous. Uh. But I have some admiration for that and for the, the difficulty and strength of being a single mother in the depression. You know, like, that's some rough shit. And you're lower class. You know, he would, you know, pick his women from the domestic servants and they're young. It's just a whole mishmash of horrible and, and rough. Um, I have a weird grudging sympathy for Lila, his wife. Uh, it's sort of like, well, I guess you do what you got to do. I mean, you, you don't, you are a woman in, you know, the, the early 1900s. You don't have a lot of options, but they were actually considering a divorce. It turns out um, she knew about a lot of the women and uh, had found Ivy's picture in his pocket. So that was like another like nail in the coffin of their marriage. And she was pretty much getting ready to, to end that. Um, so what the fuck happened? We started with the burn car. Now we have a guy arrested for the burn car who has all these wives. Okay. So that guy, that poor lost soul that we met at the pub who, you know, that was our body in the car. That's who Rouse met at the pub. Uh, and Rouse, is, he actually met him a couple times and seemed to be kind of like... I want to say casing the joint for the guy because like, he's basically like, I want to see if he's like good enough, looks enough like me that the police will think his burned body is mine. Um, so he meets the guy a couple of times and then finally he's like, all right, you know, uh, I'm going to be going off to, uh, I think he said to Lester, if I'm remembering correctly to, to Lester. And so I can, I can give you a ride. And the guy's like, yeah, sure. So he gets in the car and they uh, head out uh, Rouse gets kind of lost at one point, so he says, and so he stops for a nap. But first, before he can nap, he has to go take a piss. Although in, in one in one version of the transcript, I did see he said he had to go take a shit. So it's really, um, I, it doesn't matter one way or the other. <laughs> but it's, it's immaterial. I need to know for my for my <laughs> research, was it a piss or a shit? Or maybe Scott, you're just going to have to live know. with the mystery. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> So uh, he there was said, neither because he was fucking lying. I was going to solve this <laughs> exactly, case. Yeah. I was <laughs> going to solve this case. And it all hinged on whether he took a piss or a shit. Guess it's going to go unsolved. God damn. So the uh, the hitcher uh, basically Rouse is like, here, here's the gas. Fill the car up. And I'm going to take my briefcase with me to go to the bathroom in the woods because that's what normal people do. And the hitchhiker is like. Hey, can I have a, a cigar or a cigarette? And he's like, there's two two accounts of this. On the one hand, he's like, yeah, sure. And he tosses him one. And on the other hand, he says, well, I told him I've, I've given you all of my cigarettes already. So I don't have any more. But one way or the other, he comes back to the car, according to his story. And it's on fire. And that guy's inside it. Uh, he told police that he tried to get the guy out, but flames had completely overtaken the car. And as to the question of why did he take his briefcase with him? Because remember, our, our original witnesses saw him with his briefcase. He said, well, I saw the guy reaching for it. He was kind of was touching my briefcase. So I didn't want him to touch my briefcase. So I took it with me so he didn't steal from me because obviously he's the bad guy here. I was going to take a shit and I was going to shit in the briefcase and take it back with me. I catalog them all. Well, here's a fun thing, though. Um, Rouse was a non-smoker. Yeah, yeah. So why would he have cigarettes or cigars on him in the, to begin with? Uh, yeah. My doctor suggested I take up smoking. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it was probably true back then. Apparently, I'm not getting enough tar. 
So his original plan was he was going to uh, – this doesn't all come out until later, but uh, the, the, the deal was fake my death, leave all these burdens behind, which he would think of them as burdens, uh, financial obligations and everything, go to Scotland, hide out there, uh, possibly get some money and head out to New Zealand or the South Sea Islands, which he had talked a lot about those places to Ivy. And he had a 1,000 pound insurance policy that would go to Lila, his legal wife, and the other wives would just be left in the dust. Um, he does give a statement to the police telling him his little story about how, oh, I just went to take a piss or shit, and then I came back and the car was on fire. That He gives that statement. He's still at the police office. Everything seems to be kind of like casual now. It's not, it, it's not official statement time. And he says, quote, as he's talking to an, a police officer, my harem takes me to several places and I am not at home a great deal. But my wife doesn't ask questions now. My harem. My, my harem. harem. Gross. Very Gross. So in the aftermath of all this mess, Lila May sells the house and goes to work as a shop assistant. I did see one little tidbit that said that when she came to visit him at the jail, Jesus, when she came to visit him at the jail, he, he asked the officers if they could give her the money from his pockets, uh, which wasn't a whole lot. But it was, you know, something is better than nothing. And then proceeded to immediately ask her to buy him this, that, and the other thing. And she would basically just have enough for her bus fare home. Like, <laughs> Wow. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. This guy. This guy. So, uh, uh, yeah, she actually will move up to Northampton for the trial and, uh, and all the aftermath. So the trial starts on January 26, 1931, and he pleads not guilty. He says it was an accident. I, the, the man accidentally set the car on fire and then for some reason got inside it. Or maybe, you know, the fire started while he was passed out inside it, something like that. But I don't know. I, all I can tell you is I was just pissing and then there was a fire. I, I, I was taking a leak and uh, my, I had been drinking a lot that night. And I guess my urine had a little bit higher of an alcohol content. That's what started the fire. <laughs> so at least I, I think I should only get manslaughter. I, I didn't mean to kill him. <laughs> so we have Spillsbury. Uh, we haven't seen him in a really long while, have we? It's been a while. Hey, buddy, how you doing? <laughs> been a while. Bernard Spillsbury. Sir Bernard Spillsbury, I should say. Uh, famed uh, pathologist who would eh, sometimes get a little discredited, but was known for his ability to completely sway juries uh, and convince them of his, uh, of his thoughts and opinions. So he was, he was very handy to whoever had him on their side. I think it's very interesting that we don't see, we don't see a lot of criminals pop up time and time again, but the people to, that defend them and catch them all the time. Yeah, yeah, they keep on popping up throughout history. It's funny. <laughs> So uh, Spilsbury and also a Dr. Eric Shaw, they both testify that according to their autopsy that they performed together, the victim was alive but uh, but unconscious when the fire started. And that's whatever clothing remained on him after the fire, uh, they were able to tell it was soaked in petrol. And they testified that the mallet had been used to knock him out. Remember that mallet with the hairs on it? The hair and the... Mud. Wink. Mud. 
there was a vehicular expert who testified that the carburetor had been purposely loosened, which would then help cause the fire. You guys, I got to pause it. Okay, a little better. Uh, And now motive was such a weird thing in this because they didn't know who this guy was. If you haven't caught yet that I've never mentioned the name of the victim, oh, we don't know. So... They couldn't really testify as far as the the particular man was concerned. And they did try to make it so that his mistresses couldn't testify, but they were able to. And they they testified, and that was basically the motive was that he was trying to get away from all these financial obligations from all of his love children and his mistresses. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he's going to fake his death. Um, You know, his car was burned and a body's found in it. The cops, which, you know... if he hadn't been seen, the cops would probably be like, well, it's probably the guy who owns the car and just move on with their lives. But that little chance encounter on the lane there changed everything. And you know what? Like, so that I actually thought this was kind of a neat thing. So the victim that we don't know, uh, I found an article that I had stumbled across of from just a few years ago that they're actually still looking. So they went ahead and found the families of 12 different men that had gone missing around that time frame and were still doing DNA tests to try to identify this person. Yeah, yeah, they're still they're still working on it, which I think is pretty cool. Um, Rouse did testify in his own defense. <laughs> of course he did. That's what all bad killers do. Don't and he also- do that. <laughs> he also is such an arrogant arrogant person he did seem very confident on the stand but he still did an absolute shit job he was constantly contradicting himself and getting caught in lies so the trial lasted six days uh it took uh 25 minutes for a verdict to be rendered and it was a unanimous guilty verdict sentenced to death um i say that so flippantly okay i'm gonna say more seriously sentenced to death no (laughs) i i like the flippant the other one just sounded erotic (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how that sounded erotic, who's but okay, I'm not going to kink shame again. <laughs> who's a bad boy who's going to be sentenced to death? That's how it sounded. That's how you sound, Christy. You should be ashamed, okay, you you. Should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> you ever need, if, my fault. If you ever need another career, apparently uh, weird kinky phone sex is where it's at, Christy. Apparently. Well, good to know. I, so. can, I can, can verify that it, it makes good money. It, does it like is phone sex still a thing? I think now you're talking more along the lines of camming than phone sex. I was gonna say I don't think people actually do the toll free numbers anymore, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> I you would be surprised. Uh, remember, I look at people's bills all day. <laughs> <laughs> And apparently, 900 numbers are still a thing. Wow. I had no idea. I would never have imagined. You know, that's like only like the older people, though, because like even when they were calling and and like dispute a bill, it was usually like they're in their 70s and they're wondering why there's 15 different pornos on there because no 20 something is going to pay for porn. Right. I never fucking understand that. We'll get calls in. And like the guy is like, can you raise up my credit limit to $800? I want to watch. And like you look at their bill and it's like we're able to see uh, whenever we're working for Comcast, we're able to see uh, like what movies they've rented. And it's always like barely legal stepmothers fucking their not definitely not legal sons. 15, $11.99. 
But you know what? I think Alfred Rouse would have spent a lot of money on the barely legal porn. But they have the around. internet. They have the internet. Well, Why Alfred you... Rouse did not. I'm trying to segue, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so what Alfred Rouse also did not do was have a successful appeal. Thank you, Amber. That was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> well done. Uh, he had one appeal and it failed. The police did try to get his help in identifying the victim, but he was like, well, you haven't helped me. I'm not going to help you. And I'm like, how are they supposed to help you? They're the police. You're the criminal. Do you not understand this relationship? Remember, he does have the brain injury. And like I said, my ex, she had to have post-it notes to figure out the doors. It was probably a thing. This guy probably told him his name 72 times and he honestly did not remember. That's entirely possible. You've got a good point. But the same thing, we're going to hear how uh, he he really, it, that's, I'm, I've, I, have, I have his confession. Um, I'm going to read some excerpts from. I don't think it was the memory. I think it was his lack of giving a shit, um, which is sad. But so he, the description, the, the victim was about 40 years old, somewhere between 5'6 and 5'8. Uh, he had a light colored overcoat, kind of looked clerk-ish, uh, had a, Okay, I never know how to say the way that I would pronounce it, but I know it's not pronounced brogue, but the, like, you know, a Scottish kind of twang to your, your accent. I've always said brogue. I think I've heard it like bra or something like that, but okay. So, I'm, gonna, I'm even going to make that G even harder. A, a slight brogue. There it is. <laughs> Super American. Um, he had a tattoo on his right forearm that looked like it was something to do with boxing or sporting of some kind. Uh, he was wearing police boots, which Rouse said uh, the man was like, well, yeah, the, the London police gave me these boots. And uh, he carried a sports diary. And that's really all we have on this poor man whose name we still do not know. I Even actually, I have a minutes. little bit more. Um, so Alfred Rouse quoted this this man as saying, Governor, I've got nobody in the world who cares whether I live or die. And that's what sealed his fate as far as Alfred was concerned. Eesh. Um, yikes. He yeah. was, uh, his wife and two of his mistresses came to see him all separately. Although it would have been hilarious if they came to see him together. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it would have. That <laughs> would have been like an episode of Jerry Springer. Like... <laughs> My heart broke a little bit when I was reading that sentence and got to the point where it was like separately. And I was like, oh, <laughs> come on. Give me my fun. Uh, before he was hanged on March 10th, 1931. And his confession was published in my favorite newspaper name ever, The Daily Sketch. <laughs> well. Uh, the very next day. Uh, so it wasn't an official confession because it didn't go through official channels, but this is what we know. So I have a couple quotes here, including his description of the actual crime, of the actual murder. So here we go. Okay. During the journey, the man drank the whiskey neat from the bottle and was getting quite fuzzled. New favorite word. We talked a lot, but he did not tell me who he actually was. I did not care. Uh, the man was half dozing the effect of the whiskey. I looked at this is after they had pulled off and uh, he was so in, in his story. He was going to go piss and the guy was going to fill up the car with gas. But what actually happened was they pulled the guy was dozing. He pulled off. Uh, 
I looked at him and then gripped him by the throat with my right hand. I pressed his head against the back of the seat. He slid down, his hat falling off. I saw he had a bald patch on the crown of his head. He just gurgled. I pressed his throat hard. My grip is very strong. I used my right hand only because it is very powerful. People have always said that I have a terrific grip. Oh my God. My grip is the best grip. It's a terrific grip. (laughs) It's it's an amazing grip. The grip, it's very strong. I've had many people say, no, I've got the tightest grip. Grip is stronger than any place in China. Best grip in the world. Many people have told me so. (laughs) Not only that, but you're in the middle of a murder confession that's going to be published. These are essentially like really your last words for, for everybody. And you're like... Excuse me, while I segue, uh, take, I'm just going to take a little break from talking about the, the horrible murder I committed on a guy whose name I didn't even care to ask uh, to uh, to talk about uh, me and how awesome I am. You know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm shocked he did not mention his penis. I really am. I am shocked too. I, I was just <laughs> thinking, how's he going to work fucking a woman into this? <laughs> if, there's any, so, if there's anybody out there that would like to check out my amazing grip and penis... Uh, please get in contact with me. I'm in the prison. I'd like at least seven or eight more fucks before I die. Uh, please be over the age of 18, but not by much. <laughs> Again, he was dead when this was published, but okay. If you would, I, get, if you, I get the feeling he'd still try. Yeah, he probably would try with whatever typesetters or whatever would, would be, you know, pulling up the paper the night before. You know, get a little get a little pre-execution bang in. Fucking Ouija boards and just spells out how you doing. Yeah. <laughs> so continuing on, he went back from talking about his terrific grip and how people talk about it uh, to say he did not resist. It was all very sudden. The man did not realize what was happening. I pushed his face back after making a peculiar noise. The man was silent and I thought he was dead or unconscious. Then I got out of the car, taking my attache case, the can of petrol and the mallet with me. I walked about 10 yards in front of the car and opened the can. OK, so he uses the mallet to open the can and he tosses the mallet away. So actually, the mallet not used in the murder, according to his own words, uh, just used to open up the can. Um, although you close a can with a mallet. How the fuck do you open a can with a mallet? The hell? Right? He was full of shit. <laughs> although they did say that of the hairs on the mallet, only one was human. So, yeah, I don't know. And they, they, there was some discussion of how the hell, if the guy was in the car, how the hell would he knock him out from <laughs> that position? That's kind of awkward. Fucking only one was human. I just get, I, st- I stayed around for a while to watch the car bo- burn because I want to make sure the body burned completely. But I got bored and I started smashing mice with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he pours the gas all over the man and then he takes the top off the carburetor and uh, basically lights up the car. Uh, That was the petrol I had poured over the man and the petrol that was dripping from the union joint and carburetor, the carburetor. The fire was very quick and the whole thing was a mess of a mass of flames in a few seconds. And then he said, yeah, I ran into the two guys. Uh, I didn't expect anybody to be out so late. And again, it's bonfire night. Yeah. Like, worst time, the worst time in England to set a fire. 
But you basically thought that, well, there's going to be so many fires that nobody will notice. They'll just think it's another, you know, just another bonfire. But at the same time, it's, it's definitely, you know, a double-edged sword. Because, yeah, sure, it's just another bonfire. But there's also lots of people out. So right, he wasn't right. even thinking that through. I'm, I'm sorry. It's still the worst time. I would say you're going to actually have less attention to a fire outside of Guy Fawkes Night. Because if you think about it, a fire is just going to attract more party goers, especially late at night. Party ended here. Oh, look, there's a party going on over there. That's true. Yeah, that's really true. So not really thinking straight. Um, and so seeing but seeing those guys really changed his plans. Uh, so he kind of panicked. He went to uh, went to Wales just because he didn't have a better plan. He wasn't expecting the publicity. He didn't think that the papers were really going to catch on to this. After that, he started, after the publicity started, he's like, well, I'll go to London because it's big. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. Like, <laughs> Yeah. You go to uh, fucking Kenya after you murder somebody. They wouldn't never caught him if you went to Kenya. I don't know. I feel like he would have stuck out. Maybe no, 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 no. Not at that time. Colonialism. Uh, yeah, colonialism. It was not uncommon in Kenya. To, to see British white men running around at that time. Hmm. So, regarding the man in the car, his final words on the matter were, I am not able to give any more help regarding the man who was burned in the car. I never asked him his name. There was no reason why I should do so. Did one of you give that quote already? Am I repeating it? Or no. has he just said the same thing multiple ways about how he did not care about the life of another human being? Name He's not just said it no. multiple ways. Name not no burn up good. Big big strong hand. Big strong hand. <laughs> Massive penis. So uh, they did say, as far as the mount was concerned, like I said, uh, of the three to four hairs, only one was human. And they did say there was no blood or skin. So you're really uh, poking some holes in Spillsbury there, Scott. Are you, are you doubting Spillsbury? I'm doubting Spillsbury. <gasps> mm-hmm. Well, in some cases, you kind of should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely doubting Spillsbury. Sorry. Sorry, my boy SB. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm doubting him. There's, if there's a whole bunch of hair on the mallet, I don't believe this guy, even in his confession, time and time again, you hear it. Like people confess, confess but they're going to like trump themselves up in the confession. This dude smacked the guy over the head. His fucking grip didn't do the guy in. Fuck it. Okay, so I actually have three more quotes about Rouse and this victim. <laughs> Damn, go for it. I have uh, Rouse maintained he had never asked his victim's name. Um, I have, he did not tell me his name, but he did say that he had no relations and was looking for work. And that he was in the habit of getting lifts on lorries. And then I also have, um, we talked a lot on the journey to Leicester, but he did not tell me who he actually was. I did not care. There you have it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he could have been inspired by stories with similar plots or actual recent murders. There had been two in Germany recently, at least one with, I believe, a car fire. Um but uh, in his confession, he actually said it was the Agnes Kesson case that got him thinking. Just basically not about the car fire, but just about the idea that you could get one over on the police. It happened in June 1930. It was also, uh, Spillsbury also did the autopsy there. Basically, 
I mean, I can give you a real quick sum up. Girl found strangled, but they never found the murderer. It just it just comes out to that. Whoever was the murderer got away with it. And this is he had apparently never heard of a murderer getting away with it before. This was the first time he ever heard it. And he was like, huh, so they can get away with it. Maybe I can get away with it. I bet I could. <laughs> I bet I could. Let's do it. Now, Let's give it a try. Okay, maybe I won't get away with the first one, but I bet I'll get better with practice. <laughs> So I have a quote from his wife, from, well, from his legal wife, uh, we have to say. Lila, uh, this was in her, her final statement regarding him. Quote, oh, you guys are going to love this. Those who knew him well knew the good that was in Arthur. I did, and so do others, end quote. <laughs> they put the good in me, let me tell you. Right he in the, put the good in a lot of people. Right in the vagina. <laughs> he put the good all over town. And sometimes the butt on special occasions. <laughs> Anniversaries. So, uh, like like Amber said, the authorities have, the, they've looked at about a dozen different men who went missing around that time, but no matches. Um, and they're, they're going to keep going. Uh, there's, it's really, I've tried to, I tried to look for like missing persons around that time period and there's not a lot out there. So I was actually shocked that they found 12. Yeah, like, and I think it really is just coming down to, like, rumors in your family. Like, yeah, your great-grandfather went missing. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's entirely, it, it seemed that way in, in a couple articles I read, too, that it was just basically like, yeah, this guy went missing. Some people say that he just, like, walked out on his wife, but maybe he was killed. Let's check on that. Okay, yeah, sure. So maybe yeah. we can have a little, a little less shame in our family. <laughs> there you more, go. <laughs> I insist on more shame. Shame is good. <laughs> Less shame, more tragedy. How about that? That's the balance we need in this family. There we go. What are we all uh, up to uh, after this? I am uh, doing some some 3D printing right now. I found this lovely design uh, made by a gentleman called Spork the Orc. It's a uh, 3D printed train set uh, that is made to look like uh, old steampunk shuttle boosters. Oh wow, so, that's really cool. Yeah, cool. so I am I'm printing that out now. Just something fun to have around the house. Hmm. That's fun. I'm probably just gonna masturbate furiously. Hey, you know. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Unless you're Catholic and then you're gonna go to hell. No, like I'll just let my fingers get pruny and then cross myself with it. It is fine. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to hell. Shit. <laughs> Anyhow. Um I'm I'm working on uh, a new podcast. I'm, I'm getting getting ready. Uh, I'm thinking June. If anybody's looking forward, June. But I'm going to hold some details back. But there will eventually be a trailer on this feed. It's going to be a little different from this one, but also true crime. So, um, but yeah, I've been working on that furiously ever since I discovered I won't be teaching next semester. So I really have like, I'm like, I need more than like research on Wednesdays and social media on Fridays. <laughs> like I need to do something. So She's been yeah, I started researching furiously <laughs> researching furiously <laughs> yes um so yeah that's, that's what i've been up to and what i'm i'm doing like i said it's going to be a little different um but and it's just going to be me but we're going to hear you're going to hear scott's voice and then uh i don't know amber we haven't really talked about this but uh, eventually when when they start letting women talk i'm not in that that century yet in my my timeline but of, of the podcast but eventually when they start letting women talk would you want to do some some voice work sure i will be a lady that talks awesome yay so <laughs> <laughs> i'm still i'm starting in the 1500s and, and and they don't let women talk so oh no we're too fragile 
we're too fragile. Although I will say my first case is uh, a woman murderer who ropes in like all of her women friends and her her 13-year-old daughter. Yes! To kill the girl's father. Girl power. Yay. (laughs) um so yeah but uh that's that's basically what i'm up to so yeah it's it's been it's been fun and and intense and uh yeah so look forward to that but yeah i'll make sure you i've said but yeah 17 times i'm gonna stop saying it but yeah okay (laughs) make sure you follow us on social media we are old-timey crimey on twitter facebook and instagram don't forget our patreon is still there i know you're getting the freebie of the uh the quarantine tiny crimies uh but uh, you can also do the um oh my god my brain is broken quarantine broke my brain you can also do the early episodes uh at the ten dollar level and don't forget we also have the little business card template that we can send you as well and shout outs there's all kinds of little bonuses check it out if you're not interested in a monthly subscription if uh, you just want to leave a buck on the nightstand, uh, you can PayPal us at oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review us. Uh, that, that always uh, gives us a, a nice little warm spot in our heart. You know, uh, it's, it's the other thing aside from brutal murders that gives us a warm spot in our heart. So you- I really thought you were going to say masturbating furiously. Considered it, decided again. <laughs> so on that note, we would like to thank you for listening to our filthy words. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Bye, everyone. We finally have an ending, guys. We finally have like a, an, an outro words. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our filthy words. Boy, it was incredibly accurate this week, too, huh? <laughs> so accurate, <laughs> yes. So dead on. My sources this week are the BBC, Murderpedia, Wikipedia, uh, Executed Today, it's a good thing we do the sources at the end. Otherwise, that would be a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Kev- Kevin Manwaring on The Bardic Academic and Helena Normanton's book Trial of Alfred Arthur Rouse. My sources are the ever-popular Wikipedia, Murderpedia.org, Leicestershire. Le- it's actually Le- Lester. Lester. What the fuck, Europe? LesterMercury.co.uk and Pseudocide.com. I really thought you had the same source as me for a second. So I have a Murderpedia patient info article by Dr. Colin Tidy and Leicestershire Live, an article by Mike Lockley. Dr. Tidy sounds like some sort of like fucking knockoff brand of Mr. Clean. <laughs> no, okay. But his name is Colin, C-O-L-I-N. And for a second, I really thought his name was Colin Tidy. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I would love to see his military file where they flip the name around. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I love you guys. (laughs) 